You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's really good to see you. This is a beautiful day. I mean, what's happening here? We're moving into the fall and we're experiencing summer. I'm not complaining, by the way. Not yet. I'm not complaining. So it's good to be with you this morning. If you want to get a head start on where we're headed today in Scripture, you can open your Bible to John chapter 5. It's John chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 15. We have uh, Scripture on the overhead. We have Bibles around in the sanctuary. You can grab one, and you can, you can dive in. But before we do that, before we go any further, let's just pray. Would you do this? Would you just, just ask God's Holy Spirit? Just open your heart and your mind to learn the things that he wants you to learn today. Well, I understand there's a message that comes to us, and we read it scripturally. We know it's here. It's in writing. The way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us can be very individual, can it? It can be very personal. And so pray for that personal word for you today, because it's those personal words, those promises that can get us through each and every day. And so today, that's the way I'm praying for you is that God's promises would be fulfilled in your life this very moment. So, Father, we do. We come to you in the holy, precious, powerful name of Jesus. And we ask that you would make yourself known, that you would make yourself known in presence and in the word. And, Lord, that we would take what you teach us and it would be applied to our lives and that this, this world would experience your light through us. We're so thankful for that today. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say, amen. I don't know if you remember a time when you were uh, maybe stranded, and someone came along and helped you. Um, Maybe that someone was a stranger. Uh, You had a flat tire, and someone came along, or uh, you ran out of gas, and someone gave you money, or you got to the grocery store, you stood in line, you didn't have enough money, and somebody gave you some money to pay for your groceries. And listen, I know this has happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. I know this, that that's the kindness or the mercy of strangers extended to me, uh, that, that they didn't have any obligation to do anything for me, uh, nor could I do anything to earn what they had given me. It's just a blessing. When any time in life you experience that, you, you just know that God cares for those, <laughs> those that are, are, are hurting, those that are in misery, those that need something. And it might not always be big things. Yesterday, Annette and I took four of our grandkids out to Bauman Farms. If you've never been there before, you go ahead and go out there. 90-degree weather, a lot of dust, and a lot of kids. And we had fun. We did. We had fun. Uh, but when we were going through the day, we have one of our grandchild, one of our grandchildren, uh, wears, wears diapers. And uh, I looked at Annette, and I said, do you have Ariana's diaper? And she said, no, I thought you did. Now, listen, the worst thing you can do is get stranded at Bauman's without a diaper. And uh, I've never done this before. I panhandled for money. Uh, uh, in, in the old days, I panhandled for other things. But, but I've never panhandled for a diaper. Never done that before. And so I'm on a mission now. I'm looking around. I say, you stay with the kids. I got to go find a diaper. And so I ran around, went to the food court. And, you know, I'm thinking they're thinking I'm pretty weird because I'm going, where are the moms? that have diapers and so i'm looking for little backpacks i'm looking for kids and then i I, nope too small nope too big they don't have diapers. and then i found a mom that looked like this was just right 
and I went up and I said, listen, I am desperate. I have a granddaughter that doesn't have a diaper. She didn't even hear the rest of my story. She goes, oh, oh well, I know what that feels like. And uh, so she pulled out of this wonderful, magical backpack bag and she, uh, she gave, me a, it gave me a diaper. And if I could have, and it wouldn't have been weird, I would have just kissed her, uh, but I, I thought that would be really bad. Uh, we did have an affinity. I was wearing a Dodger hat. She was wearing a Dodger hat. Uh, God bless the Dodgers. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, uh, but, but I got it, and I ran back, and I'm like, it was like the happiest thing. And then I thought, what am I doing? I've never been this happy over a diaper before. Why was I that happy? I was happy mainly because someone took pity on me. Uh, they took pity on our circumstance. And, and, and if you've ever had that experience, if you've ever experienced that, you know what that's like. That's what mercy looks like. Mercy is love in action. Mercy has a face to it. It has hands to it. It has feet that, that go to brokenness, that go to the place where maybe misery exists. The Apostle Paul said it. He said it in Ephesians chapter 2. But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by his grace that we are saved. See, that's the whole essence and definition of what mercy is all about. It's all about something being given to us that we didn't deserve, nor could we pay back or do anything to earn it. It's by grace. And in this case, what we're looking at today is this wonderful grace that Jesus bestows on a man who is in misery, a man who's lived most of his life just broken and torn. And, and Jesus really is our, our model of mercy because mercy in its purest form is really a, a sacrifice of God's love. That's really what mercy is. And we see that in the life of Jesus. The Bible says in, in the couple chapters before we got here, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What an act of mercy. Something that we can't earn, something I don't deserve, you don't deserve, but God does that anyways. He gives us things that we don't deserve because he loves us. So what I want to do is look at John chapter 5, and we're going to mainly look at verses 1 through 15. I am going to creep down a little bit into verses 16, 17, and 18 later on, but this is really the main passage, the heart of what we want to talk about today. It's in this passage that we see how Jesus met mercy or met misery with mercy. Uh, I found four things, and we're going to look at four things today, and they really are kind of layers. They build on each other, and it's how Jesus modeled mercy for us. And so what we can do is look and see how Jesus showed mercy to this man who was in misery. We can say, those are things that I can do. Those are things that I can offer. And so we look at this passage of Scripture to find out how we show mercy to others. Let's look at verse 1. <clears throat> Beginning at verse 1, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Uh, now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, there was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I... I I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, 
get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And the day, that day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is the fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple, and he said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away, and he told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. I mean, this is definitely a miracle, and what we're seeing here is the third sign that John gives us out of the whole gospel of John. It's the third occurrence. And it happens in a place that maybe we wouldn't think could happen. We wouldn't think something like this would take place. So I want you to notice, first of all, a few things in verse 1. Because in verse 1, what you do is you get the setting. You kind of get the context of what's taking place. And when you look at this, you recognize there are a few things. First of all, it says, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Notice that. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about that phrase by itself, because in both the Old and New Testament, whenever you're going to Jerusalem, it always says that you are going up, always says that you are going up. Now, for those that have been there, you might have a good idea why it says that. But when you study scripture, I, I think there are probably two reasons it's mentioned here. And especially in this case, you would be wondering, well, it's saying going up. But Jesus is coming from the north, which we know is up, and he's going down to the south, when down is south, but he's going up to Jerusalem. Well, there are two things that you take in consideration. One is the geography. The, 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 the starting point for this ascent, and by the way, if you go through the Psalms, there's called Psalms of Ascent. And this is what it's about. It's about going from, let's say, Jericho up to Jerusalem. Beautiful Psalms of worship and praise found in scripture and, and that's where it starts typically starts in jericho jericho is about 850 feet below sea level jerusalem is 2500 feet above sea level so ge geographically you're actually going on quite an ascent it's about a 3500 trek upward and it's a few miles long and so you're going geographically you're going up to Jerusalem. Now, probably the more uh, pertinent and the thing that you would want to apply to your own life, and, and when you see it in Scripture, going up also has to do with our spiritual ascent. It has to do with going up to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem being the place where you would go, and you would be with the people of God. You would go and, and be in God's presence, that you would go and you would ascend into Jerusalem, and th those were the places that you would worship God. So the ascent is going from below to above, and it is really, in this case, it's about worshiping God. Either way, it says that you're going up. So John tells us why Jesus was going up to Jerusalem here. He says that he's going to a Jewish festival. In some Bibles, it says feast. It doesn't really tell us what festival or feast it is. We, we don't know. Uh, but, but we know that he's going to something special. There, there's a gathering. And we aren't told which feast or festival this is. We just know that he's going to celebrate. And so here's the first thing that I want you to know out of the four things that we're going to talk about. The first thing is this. 
the first step in meeting misery with mercy is show up. <laughs> That's it. It's show up. It, it's gather frequently. See, Jesus, Jesus was a, a good Jew, and sometimes we forget that. We forget that Jesus was raised in Judaism, and Jesus was a good Jew. And so he attended all the festivals, and one of the reasons they did and had festivals is so that people would gather, and they would gather frequently. And so if you look at the time in the calendar, you're going to see different festivals scattered throughout the calendar. Why do they do that? It's obviously to celebrate God, but, but it's also that they gather frequently. Because when you gather frequently together, there's a dynamic that happens that doesn't happen otherwise. That when you get together, you hear other voices sing worship and praise to the Lord. You hear other stories about life and testimony. You have a social interaction. So what we recognize here is gathering frequently is essential when we're talking about mercy. Now, that may sound a, a little bit odd at first, but I think you're going to understand as you get into the story a little more. So here's what I mean. Again, Judaism was not a, a perfect faith. It wasn't a perfect religion, but Jesus worked through those channels. He was dedicated in the Jewish temple. He was bar mitzvahed in the temple. He observed Sabbath. He taught in the temple. He went to all the festivals. Jesus said this about himself. You have to remember this. I didn't come to destroy the law. But I came to do what? I came to fulfill the law. So Jesus comes to fulfill the law. He's always gathered with his people in observance to the law. So he's gathering together. But he uses these opportunities to talk about his father's business. He uses this opportunity to talk about the kingdom of God. And you see that every time Jesus gets into a group or a crowd, he's talking about doing his father's business. He does it in this story as well. If you go down a little farther, he says, I'm just about doing what my father has told me to do. And so Jesus is, is fulfilling the law through his life, but he uses these gatherings to preach the good news. And what happens is a man gets healed. A man who was suffering, a man who was in misery is taken out of that misery. He's taken out of that suffering. Why? Because Jesus showed mercy to this man. Because they were gathered together, he saw them. Now, here's the point. I think the perfect place for us as believers to learn mercy is among believers. It's when we gather together. That's actually what Galatians chapter 6.10 tells us. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we gather frequently, and it's there that we find all sorts of needs. I, I, I know of the different needs. You know of the different needs in my life. I know some of the needs in your life. How does that happen? It happens when we gather. It happens because we have a relationship. It happens because we're together and we talk about these things. So when you gather frequently, whether it's church here or small groups or a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, a youth group, whatever it is, these are the places that you get to know people. You, you get to know them spiritually, emotionally. You get to understand their needs in life. You understand what they might be going through. So this is where the opportunities for you to show mercy, they come to life. Because this is a, a hotbed, as it were, for mercy to be expressed. So if you want to show mercy, you can do that in your own backyard. When we gather here, literally, when we gather here, we're doing that. We can show mercy to one another. That if we look around, we, we, we see others and we can extend mercy. Now, 
when we do gather together, I do know there are a few reasons. I've been, been around a while and, and know some of the reasons we gather, some of the reasons we go to church. I, I came up with four of them. Let me tell you what they are. Number one is out of obligation. Now, that's not altogether a bad thing, but it's we come together out of obligation, probably more so years ago than it is today, but nonetheless, out of, out of obligation. Uh, Annette and I had been here only about a year, and we at that time, and it was during the time where church would meet on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and everything in between, quite a rigorous schedule for anyone. If you were going to come to all of that, you really had to keep up. And, and so about a year into our time here, I, I just got to thinking about Sunday night. It just, wasn't, it just wasn't setting right for me because there were a lot of young families coming. I'm thinking, man, they got to get ready and go to school tomorrow, and they, they have to do all of these kinds of things. And it, and it really wasn't a, a, a large group. It was a good group, but it wasn't a large group. So I thought to myself, I need to go talk to some of the core people that are here, and I need to ask them why they come Sunday night. Well, that's a good place to start, isn't it? So you go to the people that are showing up, and you say, why do you come? And so I went to a few, and I said, hey, tell me why you come. And, and everyone to the person said this, we come because you show up. That's what they said. Wow. We come because you show up. The pastor shows up. And I said, really? And they said, yeah, we, we, we really feel an obligation to do that. And I said, bless your heart. Bless your heart. But what if I don't show up? And they kind of got a big smile. <laughs> It's like, really? And I said, yeah, what if I don't show up? Would you show up? And they said, no. And so what we were able to do is we were able to have a worship praise time uh, once a month on Sunday. And that really satisfied a lot of the needs for the family. But other than that, they could stay home and they used to watch Disney. And now it's, I think it used to be Funniest Home Videos, all those kind of things. But they, they went, oh, good. So out of obligation, what is the second reason? Maybe to meet others. There, there is. There's a, there's a social need. We want to interact with each other. We want to get to know each other. And I think, by the way, the best way to do that is to be in a smaller group so you can get to know each other. I, I hear some of you, some of the men in Bible studies, some of the women in Bible studies, I, I hear you guys call each other name, not good names, your name, you know, not bad names. But, but you, you know each other by name. You, you share life together. Uh, it, it really is about getting together and getting connected. So what happens is you meet good people in a good place, and that's a good thing. But then I think it gets elevated a little bit. There's a higher motive. Uh, the third motive would be that you worship God and you study his word. That when you come together, what we do is we worship God, we study his word. And that really is the primary reason we come together on Sunday, is that we worship him together that we study his word together. And then there is another reason. I, I think this is so true. And I think this even, it, it gets a little higher here. The, the, the motive grows as you go. And that is this, to be used by the Holy Spirit to help others. You see, when we come here, you realize that there are people that you might be able to help with the gifts given you with the Holy Spirit's installation in your life, the installments that he's given us, the gifts that he's given us, how do I share those? So church becomes more about giving than it might be about getting. And so you come because of that. And then maybe you learn more about what's going on around the world. <clears throat> and that you're able to say, yeah, I, I want to I help there. I want to I lend my gifts to what's going on in the body of Christ around the world, what's going on in the world. 
So that may meet one or two people when you come here. It may meet their needs, something that you have when you uh, cross paths, when you encounter people here. Uh, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit dynamic works there. And I trust the Holy Spirit in you. I love the conversations. I love the time when people come to prayer and I hear the Holy Spirit working with a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or there's something that happens in the context of, of intimacy, context of, of knowing and learning about God and learning about each other. That's what can happen when we gather together. So we gather together frequently like Jesus did. Now, secondly, is this. We observe compassionately. So we gather together <clears throat> frequently, but we observe observe compassionately mercy begins by how we see people remember that very simple axiom mercy begins on how i see people how do i view people that's where mercy can begin look at what it says <clears throat> again in verses 2 through 6a it says this now there in jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool which in aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him, I want you to see this now. When Jesus saw him lying there he, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. How does this all start? It starts by what Jesus sees. It's no different with us. We, we have compassion and mercy grows by what we see with our eyes because as a believer what we see with our eyes gets translated into our spirit as mercy that's what god wants to do he wants to turn what you see into merciful currency as it were in relationship and what goes on in the world so we see this about jesus he saw this man now if you want to do a little exercise on the side go through the gospels matthew mark luke and john and underline each place where it says jesus saw just, just do that. You're going to be amazed at what Jesus sees. Now, remember, this is the Son of God. So what Jesus sees isn't always what we might see. He goes so much deeper than we do. Now, we can go deep, but the Son of God goes deep. And we see that happening here. So we look at this, and we see the pools of Bethesda. Uh, I, I think I got a picture of what they look like back then. Do we have that picture? No, we don't. It didn't show up. Okay. Anyways, it's a huge structure. It's a colonnade that is massive. And today, some of you that have gone, it's not the same anymore, but you can see it. It's right outside the, the church of St. Anne's. And you see the kind of the rem, rem, remnants of the colonnades. And, and you would see people, they would be gathering there. What would happen is there would be a pool about two to three feet deep. And then it, it, it was actually used, now listen to this, it was actually used to wash animals. It was used to wash animals for sacrifice. Uh, so I think a lot of times what we would be thinking is, wow, I bet you that pool was pristine and, and beautiful and lovely and everything. It was the opposite. It wasn't anywhere close to that. Just imagine walking up and you're going there on a normal day without the festivals. There were probably three or 400 people gathered. During festival times, there were three to 4,000 people gathered around this pool. That was two to three feet deep. And they would just gather. Again, in our minds, we think this had to be so beautiful and so pleasant. 
See, you would have encountered, this is what you would have encountered. You would have started to smell it before you saw it. Because you would be smelling all kinds of animals and what animals do. And you would be smelling all kinds of, seriously, all kinds of, of human decay. Because that's who was gathered there. It was the sick. It was the infirm. And so you would come up to this place, and, and it could be very off-putting if, if, if you didn't know what you were going into. What does Jesus do? I think this really tells a lot about the heart of Jesus. He goes to some of the dirtiest places on the planet, and he wants to bring his mercy there. And I know there are times my heart is probably the same as those pools. That he's not afraid to go to those places in my life. He's not afraid to go to those places in your life. It's a very desperate place. If you went to the pools of Bethesda back then, you would be walking right into not only with what you would see with your eyes, smell with your nose, but your spirit would pick up the desperation. The desperation of what people were feeling that, that couldn't do things on their own. It's a very desperate place, a very desperate place. Uh, if you've ever been to a third world country, and you've gone to some of the harder places, the more, the, maybe the ghettos or the slums or whatever you would do, you would have somewhat of an idea what this would be like. You would. Uh, I, I was in Africa uh, several years ago. We were driving down the highway, and we were out in the middle of nowhere, and I thought to myself, I wonder what would happen if, if we really needed a doctor or we needed an ambulance. I mean, it hit you. I mean, I don't know what I could have done about it then, but I'm just thinking those things. And so I asked the driver, what happens if we need a doctor or, or an ambulance or something? He goes, oh, 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 you know, he has that laugh. And he goes, oh, we would take you to the veterinarian. So there you go. You'd be going to the, to the vet for whatever you needed. And then when you drove down the streets, especially in the, the thick market areas, you would have places that would sell meat and fish and all kinds of stuff. And, and it, 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 yes, it just you can imagine what that's like. But right next door to that, literally next door, is the dentist's office. It just opened. He just had a chair there with a guy standing there with these pliers like that. So, so imagine this kind of environment when you went to these places, when you went to the colonnades, when you went to Bethsaida. Now, my version says a great number of disabled people. I don't know what yours says. Uh, the word disabled means this, without strength to help yourself. That's what it means. The word there just means without strength to help yourself. Uh, it says they were gathered at this pool because many believe that when the waters were stirred and bubbled up because there were an underground spring, that there would be an angel that would come. And that was actually added later. That was added several decades later that that was the belief. And some of your Bibles, if you notice, you don't even have a verse 4 in your Bible. It's verses 1 through 3 and then 5 through 6. Because that was added later. And that's what people believe. So they were just, that, that was a good assumption, a good guess. But that's what they believed. It says here in verse 6 that Jesus saw him lying there. Now the word see is so important for me because it, it goes deeper than physical. The word through the eyes of Jesus, the word see means he perceives, he understands. That when he looks at you, he understands what's going on in your life. He understands some of the things that you're facing. Even today, he knows what you're dealing with. When it says that Jesus sees, pay attention to what he sees. Because he sees you. And then he, in turn, he passes on those same eyes. That we would have the eyes of Jesus to see. Jesus sees this man. 
imagine this. Jesus sees this man, and there are thousands of people there, and he sees this man. Remember how you felt when maybe this has happened to you, when you were in a group of maybe a large group, and someone sees you, and they just walk straight to see you? How, how that had to make you feel, how important you felt, how important that was for us to feel? I remember when Annette and I, we went to a conference, a Foursquare conference, and, and it was a special dinner of sorts, and my kids went with us, and we were standing outside ready to go in the, to, to the conference room, and when, when my son, my oldest son, said, uh, Dad, is Jack Hayford here? Some of you know who he is. He's, he's a good guy, really great leader. Is Jack Hayford here? And I said, uh, I don't know. He may be. And he goes, well, if he is, can you introduce me to him? And I said, yeah, if I find him, it's pretty crowded in there. So I walked in, I went to get water and a uh, glass of water, and guess who was standing right next to me? And I said, Pastor Jack, and he said, yeah, Ron. I said, hey, my son's, my daughter wants to, see, and right, I couldn't even get it out of my mouth. And he said, where are they? Where are they? And he made a beeline over to their table, and he stood there for 20, 30 minutes, talked to the kids. That, that's a special feeling when someone spots you out like that. See, that's what Jesus does for this man. So what's happening is he's already started the healing process. Isn't that true? When that happens, there's something emotionally that takes place. There's something spiritually that takes place when someone notices us. And this is what Jesus does. He notices this man. Mercy always begins by how you see people, their physical, their spiritual condition. Matthew chapter 9, what does it say? That Jesus was on the Mount of Olives and he looked into Jerusalem and it says he saw Jerusalem and he was broken with compassion. He started to weep with compassion. Why? He said they are like sheep without a shepherd. It was something that Jesus did that made a difference. What Jesus did was based on what he saw. And I think for me the reminder is to make sure that we're seeing people around us with the eyes of Jesus. There's a sensitivity. There's a sensitivity to the brokenness of others. I know we get so focused sometimes. We're doing our own thing. And that's the challenge for me. It might be the challenge for you. It's continuing to see what Jesus sees. It's continuing to see who Jesus sees and what he sees and not be distracted with all the other things around me that I have a tendency to be fixated on. That's, that's typically what I... That's my... That's my temptation, is I start paying attention to other things, and when I start paying attention to other things that really don't matter in light of eternity, I miss what Jesus wants me to see. Who are the people in front of you today that Jesus wants you to see? Because I can guarantee you this, they're not afar off, they're standing right under your feet. Did you know that? I mean, it's amazing how the Lord just brings people to you, and sometimes we, oh, that's coincidence, that's happenstance, nope. They're there because God sent them there. And you have an opportunity. The Bible says if it's in your power to give a word of encouragement, then give a word of encouragement. Because why? It brings life. When people hear the words that you speak, it brings life. Again, breaking the stronghold of being fixated on everything else except what Jesus wants me to see. That's the way I pray, and that's the way I've been praying, that I'm not self-absorbed. I need to be Jesus-centered. And so when we see the world and the people in this world with the eyes of Jesus, what happens? Mercy always wins out. Mercy always wins out because whoever's around Jesus, whoever should be around us, mercy should express itself. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what the Bible tells us. 
Seeing like Jesus is the reason the poor, the sick, the lame, the orphans today. Listen to this. Today, this is the reason the Christians over 2,000 years by far give more to broken people than any other institute on the planet over and over and over and over again. Today, it's Christians that help the poor. Today, it's Christians that run to places that take care of people that are hurting, that just need an expression of hospitality. They need expression of mercy in their life. And we have that ability to do it. And we bring the good news of Jesus Christ, the light of Jesus, when we go to these kinds of places. It's beautiful. A few years ago, Annette and I were uh, in Albania, and we had been traveling almost 24 hours. It was late. We were tired, and we were hungry. We hadn't eaten anything. We got off the plane. We got stuck in their traffic, their, uh, their traffic jams, uh, the rush hour in the evening. And we got out of town, and we saw a little restaurant. We pulled over, and we were famished. And we went in, and we, we just, we got, it was a smorgasbord kind of thing, so we loaded up our plates, and we, we kind of stood there. We were ready to eat, and they, they said they don't take a credit card. And they didn't, well, that's all, we, we just didn't have much. And how about this? No, and did you take American? No, they don't really take American money because they can't change it. And we were stuck. And we were just looking at each other going, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And you know what they said? They said, no, you take it. Just go ahead and eat. Enjoy. We're glad you're here. I've never had that experience here. But to have that experience there, when people probably need that money a little more than we might, that was remarkable to be on a receiving end. And it told me a lot about the makeup and personality of the Albanians. They are beautiful people. And we are going to be going. We'll be taking an offering next week just to help these pastors and these families do well. We want to show mercy and be benevolent. Here it is. When you gather frequently, you observe compassionately, there will come a time that you will need to do something. And it's hard. This is where it gets difficult. You need to confront honestly. Confront honestly. That's probably one of the harder things to do. You'll need to confront that person who's in need and bring them to a deeper level. Because ours is even more, and, and it goes deeper than just taking care of a physical need and, 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 and sending them on their way. It's a beautiful thing, but, but what we are looking at is we're saying, we want to see Jesus change your life. That's what we do here. People say, are there strings attached? Yeah, we want to see Jesus change your life. <laughs> we want to see Jesus love you. That's what we want. We, we really don't want anything else than that. We just want to see your life changed. But to be able to sit in those situations for this many years, the man was 38 years living this life. And Jesus wants to help him, wants to heal him, but he wants to see this man go deeper in his relationship with God. And it says this, it says in verse 6 through 9, it says, when uh, Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition uh, for a long time, he asked him, do, do you want to, to get well, sir? The invalid replied, I, I, have, I have no one to help me when I get into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get this, get up and pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The, the, the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Now, if you drop down a little further to verse 14, it says, Later, Jesus found him at the temple 
And he said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus wasn't just satisfied for him just to get better and, and go about his merry way and continue the same life that he had before. We don't know what he was doing. We don't know what kind of sins were going on here. I don't know. Maybe he was still acting like he was an invalid. I don't know. But, but Jesus comes along and says, listen, you need to stop that. What is he doing? He's confronting. It almost sounds, you know, when you read this, absurd that Jesus asked to the man, do you want to get well? Duh. Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> I've been coming out here for 38 years. What kind of question, when you look at this, what kind of question is that to ask a sick person? Now, notice the man's response. Look at that. His, his response is deflecting. He never even a answers the question. He, he, he starts talking about other things. It's kind of like he's blaming others and his circumstances, and he never, he never answers the, the question. You know, I've visited hospitals hundreds of times, and I've never, ever once asked somebody, do you want to get well? I, I, not to never come up. But it does here. Do you want to get well? So why did Jesus ask this question? Well, because this man had become so used to this lifestyle. It was a lifestyle for him. And I think that's the thing that Jesus always crashes into. He crashes into the, the lifestyle, our lifestyle. Jesus is asking, are you sure that you want to change? Are you absolutely sure that you want to change? Some experts say that he, he probably was doing pretty well. He, he had people doing things for him. He, he had the attention that he wanted. He had contributions. He, he might have been a professional at this. And so Jesus is asking the question, listen, dude, do you want to change? Do you really, really want to change? So the question is appropriate. Are you sure you want to change because your whole way of living will change? That's what Jesus is saying. You're not going to live this way anymore. You're not going to be in this muck any longer. And that's what he says in verse 14. He sees that he is. He's continuing the same lifestyle. And he says, no, no. You can't keep living this way. This to me is an eye opener because the man was healed physically, but he continued to send some kind of sin in his life. What, what can be worse? I mean, you think about what can be worse than suffering for 38 years? I can tell you what's worse than suffering for 38 years. It's suffering for eternity. And Jesus is going after this. He's saying, I don't want you to suffer for eternity. And that's the heart that Jesus has toward us. It's the same one. He doesn't want us to suffer for eternity because there is a eternal suffering when we don't follow Jesus, when we don't have Jesus in our life as, a Lord, as our Lord and Savior, Jesus loved him enough to confront honestly. Remember this. Jesus confronted him honestly. Jesus just didn't want him to be feeling good about what had happened or, or, or just living that life of just feeling good. He, he, he wanted him to be good. I mean the God goodness in him, God change in him. Jesus was speaking to this man's soul. That's mercy. Jesus was going after the, the roots. He was going after something. Friends, when you see those things happening in other people's lives, it's hard sometimes, especially when you see that happening in the people that you love and that cycle keeps going and going. Know this, that Jesus will break in. He will break into that. He, there will come a day if it hasn't already happened, but then there's going to be an opportunity of accountability and responsibility 
to say, I, I got to own this. I, I, if there's change in my life, I'm the one that needs to change. There's no other message than the gospel that can really bring the healing, the eternal healing that he needs. I'm going to finish with one more statement here. And before I do, I, I thought of the situation when I was studying this about, about seeing someone's life changed and, and, and eternity became theirs. They, they, it was, it's just a remarkable thing that happened. And it was very difficult. Uh, Annette and I, a few years ago, I came home from a church. I walked in and the news was on. And it was, and maybe some of you remember this, but it was a young man in his 20s that uh, was, was shot to death by a business owner on 82nd Boulevard in Portland. And I heard this and it said, you know, he, had, he was mentally ill, that schizophrenia had taken over. And, oh, my heart was just broken when I was listening to this. And right then the phone rings. And it's his brother-in-law. And he said, did you know this happened? I said, I'm just watching it now. He goes, you know, you baptized him. You know, you, you, you led him to faith in Jesus. And I'm just getting, I'm getting blown away. And this insidious disease took over. And I talked to his mom a little later, and I said, I know this is a loaded question, but how are you feeling? And you know what she said? She said, guilty. And I said, why are you feeling guilty? She goes, because I don't have to worry about him at night. I know he's safe with Jesus. And I said, listen, be free of guilt because he is safe eternally with Jesus. Come. See, the point is that there's eternal salvation. And when you face something like that, you see the magnitude, the enormity of eternal salvation. What he was dealing with was, was temporary, albeit horrible but now he's with jesus today he is with jesus in heaven that is what is at stake when we talk about the things of jesus and then the last thing here healing misery with mercy looks like gathering frequently observing compassionately confronting honest honestly here's the last thing when it happens notice what takes place do you think all the rabbis jumped up and said all right Look, someone was healed. No, that's not what happened. So the fourth thing here is expect adversity. When, when you bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into places that are dark, please expect that there's going to be adversity. That's what happens here. When you read this and you go down a little further, it says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In verse 18, it says, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Why? Because the man picked up his mat on a Sabbath. Oh, that's horrible. I mean, you're so blinded by your own rules and your own regulations, your own lists. And I thought, man, I, I don't want to ever be like this. I don't, I don't want to ever be like this. I, I want to make sure that we rejoice when there's healing, when, when, when someone's saved, when there's salvation, when God works in people's lives instead of keeping the list and checking a list off and saying, what happened? Why didn't this happen? And why didn't that happen? Listen, the Lord, the Lord wants to use us to bring people to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and it's not going to be through checking off a religious list. There's actually going to be times where you might even feel a little bit uncomfortable with what God asked you to do. Several years ago, we, we had this family get a hold of me. Somehow they were connected with the church, and I don't know how or, or why, but I get a call 
and I hear the saddest story about a young mom who, who gave birth to a stillborn. And they were from a Catholic background, a Catholic faith. And so they said, can you, can you come to the morgue and just baptize this baby? I said, well, I don't see anything listed on here theologically that I can't do that. So I went and I just poured water over the baby and had the family there and prayed and asked God to bless this family. Do you know what happened? Two weeks later, that mama came here and got baptized in water after she reached. You know what happened then? Her dad was with her when he, she was baptized, and he was standing right here with me to baptize his daughter. And he's watching all this happen, and he goes to help me put her in the water, and his lucky strikes fell out of his front pocket. He was keeping his smokes in here, and I just happened to catch him. Boom, caught him before they hit the water. And I went like this, and I said, you might need these after church. And so I went, and he's just looking at me like, what just happened? What just happened? What I'm saying is, those things aren't always comfortable. But those might be the places and the people God brings you to. Love them. Show mercy in Jesus' name. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I want to thank you today for the amazing grace that you extend to us and that you've showed us mercy and misery. Uh, Lord, I just ask that we would be the same. We would show others that, that mercy during their time of misery, that we wouldn't be just list keepers to make sure they're religiously following through with something, but Lord, we would just pierce uh, the, the, the pain and the darkness with your light. We ask all these things in the awesome and beautiful name of Jesus, and we say amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.